This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to A Deeper Look here on Federal News Network. Each episode, we focus on a single federal agency to better understand its mission, its impact on the public, and the people who work here. Now your host, Joe Paiva. Today's Deeper Look is with Jeremy Edwards, Press Secretary for the Federal Emergency Management Agency. Jeremy, thanks so much for coming here today. I know you have a super busy schedule, and so we're going to dive right in. But before we do, uh, could you give our listeners just a brief idea of what FEMA is, where it sits in the government and what it does. I mean, we all we all kind of associate FEMA with the guy showing up after a hurricane or a tornado or a flood. But but can you provide just a little more uh, where it sits organizationally and kind of what the overarching mission is? Sure. So thanks for having me, Joe. Great to speak with you and great to uh, be able to reach out to your listeners today. So I'll start with FEMA stands for Federal Emergency Management Agency. And, you know, our name kind of dictates what we do. We show up when disaster strikes. We show up when communities are in distress. We show up to help. And we're on the front lines with our state and local partners to make sure that communities can recover um, when they are impacted by disasters, whether that's natural, whether that's man-made, hurricanes, tornadoes, train derailments. I'm sure you've seen in the news um, relatively recently. And FEMA, we actually just recently celebrated our 44th um, year of existence, our birthday came around recently, and and FEMA used to kind of be its own standalone agency. Um, a lot of our um, authorities uh, were in in various kind of hodgepodge places, um, and it was actually after, um, you know, following September 11th that that we were brought into uh, the Department of Homeland Security apparatus. So FEMA now. Um, you know, situationally is within the Department of Homeland Security. So my boss is Administrator Chriswell. Her boss is uh, Secretary Mayorkas. And his boss is President Biden. Um, but when a disaster happens um, or FEMA is activated, um, you know, during a natural disaster or, or, or some sort of national emergency, um, we kind of upgrade to that cabinet level position where the administrator is going to be communicating directly with the president uh, when the situation warrants it. All right. Well, that, that, uh, I think that that sounds pretty consistent with what I think people would have expected. Right. But we know now you sit within DHS, which I guess makes sense, right? Homeland security is more than just uh, kind of any terrorism, right? It's all disasters of all types. Well, Jeremy, the next question is the same question I ask everyone who comes on the show. You're on Taxpayer Shark Tank. You have three minutes or as long as you need. Kind of explain to the American taxpayer why they should continue to fund FEMA. Uh, You know, make the people, if there is a good reason, make the people in Western Massachusetts understand why they should subsidize you know, the people that live in kind of disaster prone areas like Florida and Louisiana, you know, what is the ROI for the average American taxpayer? Sure. Thank you. And first I want to graciously thank the American taxpayer for putting their trust into us to show up before, during, and after disaster. And and what I'll say um, to, to folks who might not think that disaster could be on their doorstep at any time is that is completely um, not the case. We've seen time and time again, people getting impacted by disasters when they least expect it. 
Um, you know, COVID, we have people moving into new environments that they might not be familiar with. Um, one recent example that I would cite is Hurricane Ida. Hurricane Ida made landfall down in uh, down near the Gulf Coast, down in Florida, and then it swung up, became uh, became a storm system, and ended up causing flooding in places like New York City and New Jersey, where a number of people lost their lives due to the rain events that followed that disaster. So that's kind of just one example of, yeah, just because you don't live on the coast or just because you don't live in a wildfire area doesn't necessarily mean that you might not need the folks, uh, the men and women um, over here at FEMA to help you out when disaster strikes. You know, another example that we're seeing has to do with things like wildfires. Wildfires we used to think of as just being a California problem, just being a West Coast problem. But New Jersey just had a wildfire a couple of weeks ago. And even beyond natural disasters, I want people to kind of broaden their lens of when they think of, you know, what is FEMA there to do? We're there to help. We're there to help people before, during, and after disasters. So on the before side, we're making investments into communities. The bipartisan infrastructure law gave FEMA about $7 billion to do its job. And a big chunk of that is for pre-disaster mitigation, hazard mitigation, that we're funneling money to communities um, from the coast down south to the middle of America um, to make sure that they have the resources they need to mitigate against future disasters. Another big piece of that is we're not just responding to these um, natural hazards, we're responding to sometimes man-made disasters. You know, you know, you don't have to look that far, but recently there was a train derailment in, in Ohio that impacted a lot of people there in East Palestine. And while FEMA was not the lead agency, our friends over at EPA are the lead agency on the ground, FEMA did a lot of incident coordination and making sure that everything was lined up helping our partners kind of coordinate the emergency response to that disaster. So when it, when it comes to your average everyday American, I think a best case scenario is you never see FEMA in your neighborhood. You never want to see us coming through because that means something terrible may have happened. But I know from my personal experience that when we show up, people are so relieved to see the administrator, to see our FEMA core members, to see our disaster um, survivor assistance teams going door to door and helping connect people with resources. So that's kind of my pitch to the American people that we are going to be there when you need us um, and whether or not you at least expect it. Fair enough. Wildfires in New Jersey. I kind of missed that one. Yeah, that's that's not good. Um, hey, so one of the joys of a constitutional democracy is that you know, the mission of each agency is set up by the legislature and it, it kind of survives past administrations. But how those missions are accomplished, the priorities that are set, that changes from time to time, right? So when when you look at where FEMA is at right now, where do you see the current priorities for FEMA as an agency? Like what, what if, if you were to get a call from the secretary tomorrow, or if you were to walk into a staff meeting with, with the inner circle, what's keeping the administrator up at night? Like what, what is, what is on the top of their mind? What are they really focused on? So the administrator actually outlined um, her strategic priorities for the next four years, 2022 to 2026 and um, FEMA strategic plan that you can find online. But the big three pillars of that are equity, making sure that equity is a foundation of everything we do at FEMA. 
The next is climate resilience. Um, and that's making sure that our nation is prepared for the reality that is climate change and the extreme weather events that are associated with that. And the third is making sure that both FEMA is ready for any disaster, but also that we have a prepared nation overall. And I think, you know, those things kind of seem different, but they all actually tie together pretty closely. And I want to focus in on that last one with regards to, you know, what keeps us up at night? What are the things that we're focusing on? The reality of the situation is that we are seeing more what's called Stafford level events. Now, Stafford Act is basically our mandate. That what, that's what charges us to respond when disasters happen. We're seeing about three times as many Stafford level events that we've seen over five years ago. So that means we're seeing more disasters. We're seeing them more frequently. We're seeing them more intensely. You know, look just a few months ago when we had basically a tornado ripping through the Midwest almost every weekend. We have a wildfire season that's become a year-long threat. We are seeing hurricane um, hurricanes becoming more active, having stronger storm surges. So, you know, all these things are making it so that FEMA wants to make sure that both our workforce is ready. So we're doing some strategic hiring, making sure that we're getting the next generation of emergency managers in the door. We're also taking steps to make sure that folks beyond FEMA, everyday people living in new environments, maybe they haven't dealt with a disaster, are prepared. We're doing things like direct outreach. We're doing um, public service announcements campaigns. Uh, most recently, we did uh, campaigns targeting Black and African American communities to make sure that community is prepared. The year before that, we did ad campaigns targeting Latino communities to make sure they're to make sure they're ready when disaster strikes. And coming down the road, not to uh, get ahead of our own announcement, we'll be doing some um, strategic targeting of older Americans who are also very vulnerable when disasters happen. So. Equity, climate, readiness, those are our three kind of big bucket of priorities. And everything that we do as an agency strategically kind of falls into one of those areas. Well, so that's a that's a great lead into our next question. But you know what? I'm going to take a quick break here to pay the bills. This is Joe Paiva with a deeper look at FEMA with Jeremy Edwards. And we'll be back in a minute. And we're back. This is A Deeper Look with Joe Paiva, and I'm talking today with Jeremy Edwards, Press Secretary for the Federal Emergency Management Agency. So, Jeremy, those areas all make sense, right? I mean, you, you, it kind of flows. But you've mentioned the people moving into new areas a couple times now. Um, you mentioned it earlier, earlier when you were talking about uh, why people who – don't realize that they may be heading into a, an area that's prone for a certain type of disaster. Can you give us a little more about that since you've mentioned it twice? Like is, is the, obviously with telework and, and a lot of other things that are driving a lot of migration around the country. Right. So after the pandemic, mm -hmm. how big an issue is that? Like, like can you just give us a few kind of real life stories. Yeah, sure. I mean, the, the issue really is that um, with COVID-19, beyond all the challenges um, that those presented. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention um, the huge role that FEMA played in providing hundreds of billions of dollars to states and local governments to help them stand up their COVID operations and providing $3 billion in funeral assistance 
so people who lost loved ones could respectfully bury them and not have to carry the tab over. But with COVID, we also saw people moving to new places because of telework. It was amazing. You know, before I worked at FEMA, I was able to um, do my job um, in D.C. from Syracuse so I could be with my family. It's fantastic. But a part of that is we have a lot of people who have migrated, living in environments they're not used to, got people moving down to Florida. They've never experienced a hurricane, got people moving out to the West Coast. They've never dealt with wildfires, got people moving to the interior of the United States. And they've never dealt with things like maybe heavy snowfall up in the Dakotas or tornadoes and severe storms in the Midwest. So that is a concern for us. Um, which is why our preparedness piece, our FEMA ready piece and our prepared nation piece becomes so important that we are every single day communicating with people that they need to understand the hazards of their environment. Um, two kind of big things we've done recently to, to make sure more people are aware of those risks is we have a cool tool I want to plug to your, to your listeners is our national risk index. We just did a major update of that application that now considers social vulnerability as one of the indexes that will tell how at risk you are to natural disasters. And you can go to that app, you can type in your zip code, you can look at the map, and it will tell you the exact type of risks that are happening in the community that you're from down to the census tract level. You know, that's just one tool that people can use to kind of empower themselves to understand what their risks are. Another tool that we've been trying to push to folks is our new FEMA app that just went through another huge update. So you can get real emergency alerts on that one, for example, and you can do multiple areas. So for me, I have um, emergency alerts for Washington, D.C. I also got emergency alerts for Syracuse, New York, where my family lives. And I got emergency alerts for North Carolina, where my grandmother lives. So whenever those come in, I can text them, copy and paste it immediately and let them know, hey, some storm activity coming hey, there's a red flag warning happening in this area, be prepared. So with people moving around, that's what we just want to impress on folks is, you know, just because you haven't gone through a disaster before doesn't mean it won't happen to you this time around or the next year. And, you know, talk to your neighbors, reach out to folks. If you're in a new area, say, hey, I just moved here. What's, uh, how do you guys manage uh, the severe storms that come in the spring? Any tips for when hurricane season rolls around? We just want people to start engaging with one another, asking those questions and make sure that they are prepared when they're in these new environments. That's interesting. That's really cool. So the app sounds awesome. The risk index sounds super interesting to me because, you know, as you were talking, it kind of occurred to me that like, you know, historically, we know that natural disasters have always, even most man-made disasters have impacted uh, underserved communities more than other people, right? Whether you're talking about elderly or people with disabilities, Trains carrying chemicals don't go off the rails in rich neighborhoods, right? Um, that's just the way it is. And, and it's where the train tracks are, so to speak. And so, you know, as you were talking, it occurred to me that, that a snowstorm in an unpopulated rural area, kind of where, where there was a handful of people and they all knew how to deal with it, is not a disaster. But you move you know, a thousand city slickers out there that have never seen, you know, more than three inches of snow and, and used to having someone else plow for them. I guess that really suddenly changes the whole nature of what qualifies as a disaster, huh? Exactly. Or, or you know, on top of that, you also are getting places that might not have dealt with a certain type of disaster as frequently. So like, you know, this past year, we've been seeing, you know, tornadoes in places like Georgia, 
um, which like when you think of Tornado Alley, you're not thinking of Georgia. You're thinking of, you know, Missouri, Mississippi, uh, Arkansas. You're thinking kind of that narrow strip of land that exists in middle America. But then you have places just outside of Atlanta getting hit with tornadoes. Um, so that kind of also, you know, increases the urgency for people to kind of take these things seriously and understand that, like, yeah, you know, um, this area doesn't usually get these types of severe storms, but we're seeing more of them. Or, you know, the New Jersey example for, you know, just to go back to that, it's like, oh, we don't usually get wildfires up here. Even in Washington, D- Washington D.C., um, we were out on the West Coast for a wildfire prevention tour. I look at my FEMA app and there's a red flag warning in Washington, D.C. because the humidity is so low, had it rained in a while, and winds were high, that there could potentially be brush fires or wildfires. So that's the type of kind of, you know, mentality we want people to have is that disasters can happen anywhere at any time. And folks really need to start taking that seriously because just that simple act of preparedness, knowing where to go when a disaster strikes, knowing where to get the resources, knowing where to look, having your phone on when there's a severe weather warning so you can get woken up, you know, if a tornado touches down near you can really those those little things, those little actions can really make a difference and even save lives. Yeah, that that makes sense, right? I know we're going to lose you here soon, and and but I have to ask, how do all these changes impact the people that work at FEMA, right? I mean, you have changes in priorities that are kind of aligned to changes to the reality on the ground, what's happening in the environment, but also, uh, you know, the changes in migration patterns and everything else. So what is that and the technology that you can use to fight it? So how does that impact your workforce and, and how, how does that change the people that work there? Yeah. Thank you for the question, Joe. Um, I don't want to throw any shade to any other government agencies. I've spent my entire career in public service working at a number of different federal agencies and the people I see at FEMA blow me away every single day. The ability for folks to just like roll their sleeves up, lean in, you know, sometimes when we're in an activation, we might be here in the building for, you know, 12, 15 hours, just knocking from 6 a.m. to midnight, um, making sure that people um, are prepared, making sure that we are, uh, you know, appropriately responding to the disaster and making sure that we are working that first phase of recovery so people can start to jumpstart theirs. Um, I just, again, want to like commend these folks. Um, they always are here to answer the call. I always want to commend our reservists, our FEMA workforce of reservists who, uh, you know, our numbers are in the thousands who actually just got some much needed protections thanks to the passage of the CREW Act, which now gives our FEMA reservists the same protection as military reservists. So that means when they get activated uh, to serve in the FEMA reservists, they don't have to worry about losing their job or getting in any trouble um, with, with their main gig because they're out there helping people. You know, I, I, I do think that, you know, just to, to be honest and keep it real with you, that um, a lot of the workforce does feel the effects of these ever increasing kind of disasters, um, not in a negative way, but just understanding that, you know, it, it's tough, you know, seeing communities like, you know, Puerto Rico, Uh, get hit by a hurricane while they're in the middle of recovering from the last one or, you know, seeing communities that are, 
just already struggling before disaster in places like Rolling Fork, Mississippi, and then get hit completely devastated um, by a tornado. A tornado. But I, I think the thing that keeps them going, the thing that keeps us going, is that when we show up in those communities, um, a the folks are just so um, resilient. The personal resilience of these communities, um, folks who have lost almost everything rolling up their sleeves and helping their neighbor pick stuff up, helping their neighbor pick up the pieces. And then kind of that look that you get when you meet a survivor who, who's going through it, who's just happy to see you, who um, is just happy that, you know, you're, you're not, you're not back home with your family. Um, you're here in the thick of it, um, working to help them pick up the pieces. Um, you know, whatever, whatever feeling that is, you know, that I think that is, kind of a, a special kind of mojo that uh, that FEMA employees get when they're on the ground helping people through these disasters. So, you know, whether there's one hurricane this season or 20, you know, whether there's 10, 10 tornadoes or 50, whether there's wildfires just in California or over on the East Coast, we're going to be ready uh, to step up when we need to step up and help uh, the people who need our help the most. Jeremy, thanks. Uh, I think this is probably a great place for us to take a break. I understand uh, you brought with you today Limar Thorpe from your HR department who actually uh, deployed with FEMA during a hurricane and is going to give us a little insight into what that experience was like for him and what's going on in the HR department in terms of recruiting people both into FEMA as full-time FEMA employees, but also as part of the FEMA Reserve Program, uh, which sounds like it's kind of similar to the Military Reserve Program. So we look forward to having that discussion after the break. This is Joe Piva with a deeper look at FEMA with Jeremy Edwards, Press Secretary and Deputy Director of Public Affairs. And Jeremy, uh, we'll talk again after we hear from Lamar. We're back with Jeremy Edwards, Press Secretary and Director of Public Affairs at the Federal Emergency Management Agency, and Limar Thorpe, who is an HR specialist at the agency, but who actually deployed during Hurricane Ian and is here to tell us a little bit about life on the ground as uh, someone working within FEMA, and then talk to us a little bit about opportunities for people to join either FEMA's full-time staff or their new reserve program, which sounds to me a little bit like the military reserve program and kind of cool. Lamar, it's great to have you here. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. Well, good. Hey, so you're relatively new to the Fed, relatively new to FEMA. Would you give us, just so people understand your path, like what you did before you got here, and, and, you know, just kind of quickly your background and, and what you're doing now for FEMA. Yeah, sure. So um, prior to FEMA, I was in the higher education space. I worked in the diversity inclusion office uh, for about 10 to 11 years before transitioning to the government. 
Right now, currently, I'm a recruiter with the agency. Been a recruiter for about 3.5 years, three and a half years. Uh, I really enjoy my job. Uh, I like to connect with people. Um, a lot of my work consists of doing outreach and networking. So I really love doing that. A lot of those same um, networking opportunities that I acquired, or skill sets that I acquired in higher education that brought to my job and the connections as well. So again, that allows me to uh, connect with more people and that makes me feel good. So. Well, awesome. So, hey, look, we heard earlier today about how, you know, the mission of FEMA doesn't really change, but but the environment in which it operates does, right? And that requires an occasional change uh, in priorities. It, it requires changes in how the work is done. Obviously, technology is a driver of that, changing weather patterns, changing just changing life on the ground, right? There are things you worry about today that you didn't worry about five years ago. And so I guess my first question goes to how do how do those changes that, that we spoke about earlier, how does that impact the workforce? Like w- what are the new skill sets that FEMA is out looking for today as opposed to things they might've been looking for, you know, 10 years ago? Right, right. So core competencies is we're always looking for, right? Uh, we need people ready to deploy on a short notice. Uh, some jobs of FEMA have changed and updated with the times. Like, for example, I'm pretty sure like 50 years ago, right? Uh, we didn't have social media content uh, creators. Now they're essential in getting the word out uh, to survivors and communities in regards to uh, programs and information. So, and then also we've recently um, added new uh, equity advisor. We talked about, you know, diversity inclusion earlier. Uh, positions to help with the agency's strategic goals, which is instilling equity as a foundation for emergency management. And so, like, what is what type of training programs has the has FEMA put in place to try to help? I mean, so, so you had someone they've been working there a long time, they've been doing the job a certain way. Now, you know, I assume you go on site after a after a disaster, and someone's walking around with a tablet, uh, taking down information as opposed to in the old days a pencil and paper, right? That that changes a lot. Like so, how how is FEMA training people and upskilling people for all these new tasks they do that didn't exist? Yeah. So as far as the training um, individuals, um, you know, FEMA has uh, resources online uh, that um, employees can utilize to learn the most recent uh, updates in regards to software. Uh, for example, when I was deployed, um, before I was deployed, we had to learn the new disaster assistance program. Uh, so they set us down to provide the program and, and taught individuals like myself to learn the new system, which in turn was beneficial when we were deployed and talking with uh, survivors. Fantastic. So so as things change, right, and, and you have, you know, you have people kind of learning these new skills, how are they reacting to that? Like, can you give us any, like, kind of real stories about, you know, I mean, how are the employees taking it? Like, do they like the change? Do they not like the change? Is it? Is do they feel good about it? Uh, as far as the change in like the resources used in regards to disaster assistance, um, being deployed again, the new system. Uh, a lot of employees that I work with on the ground uh, stated they they liked it because it was more efficient than prior programs and prior procedures, which in turn allows us to really uh, uh, help uh, more individuals quicker. Uh, for example, when I was deployed in Florida, uh, I was with an individual assistance cadre, and my job was to use the disaster assistance uh, platform 
to help people acquire assistance. So they would sit in front of me. I have the uh, system in front of my my desk space, and uh, I would help them sign up for assistance or help them check their profile. And with the new updates, it allows me to, for easier access to let them know, hey, your uh, application is almost complete or it's at this stage. Hey, that must be kind of rewarding. Can you can you can you kind of give us any stories? Obviously, not with individual people's names, but you know, you keep mentioning deploy. Can you, can you kind of Give give people feel for like so you were deployed. What was that like? Like what was your interaction with the public like? Like can you tell us some stories about a day in the life, if you will, of a of a FEMA employee out there on site after one of these things happens? Right, definitely for sure. So I was deployed uh, Hurricane Ian in Florida. Um, phenomenal experience. Uh, my job was working with the individual assistance cadre. So we were we were um, we first deployed. We set up our area within the local library in the town and then we transitioned to the national to the park where we set up a big tent so that we could um uh help larger individuals the, initially the library uh was the starting point but it was too small because we again more people were coming in so we had to look for a, a bigger venue of various bigger space so we ended up setting up a big tent to uh, acquire more individuals that were impacted um this comes some stories uh meeting with individuals um to me, it's very heartfelt because I'm talking to individuals that have lost everything. And for me to be able to assist them in a certain type of way, for me, uh, makes me feel good. Uh, case in point, an individual came to my table specifically who had lost everything, right? Um, they didn't know where to start. So my first step was to ensure them, like, hey, everything's going to be okay. I'm here to help you. Let me help you uh step-by-step with the disaster assistance process. And as they were going through it, I tried to reassure to them that, hey, we're here to help you. And we want to make sure that your road to recovery is as smooth as possible. So this individual was excited, uh, but still emotionally distraught because again, they had lost everything, right? Um, But just for me, just to just affirm them in that moment, help them just a little bit. And just to let them know that uh, once the the application was complete, I I assured them like, hey, you can come back here anytime you want. Any questions, any status updates, I'm here, you can come to me specifically. And I want to say that person would come by maybe a couple of times during the week just to check check the status. I'd inform, I would inform them that the status is not as quick, but just, again, continue to come. But we'd also have additional resources there too as well. So we would work with Red Cross and, and also some other uh, local entities um, to help them with like food or any other like supplies that they needed. Uh, Red Cross was providing meals when for individuals that were coming in. And then I want to say... Um, there was a uh, was it the more uh, or the like a workforce program um, was providing additional resources, uh, shelter for folks as well, which I pointed them in uh, in that direction too as well. So this providing those resources for them to help them um, help me feel good, but also just help them kind of morale wise, uh, just help them go through the process. Well, that that definitely sounds like a rewarding day at work as opposed to a, a lot of other jobs. Hey, Lamar, we're going to break here just for one quick second um, while we go pay the bills. And we'll be right back after this commercial break, okay? This is a deeper look with Lamar Thorpe from the Federal Emergency Management Agency. And we'll be back in one minute.
And we're back with Lamar Thorpe, a recruiter at the Federal Emergency Management Agency. Lamar, before the break, we were talking a bit and we talked about kind of, you know, the new skills that people had to learn, everything from social networking to, you know, computer usage to new systems and how those systems were helping you kind of in the time of need help Americans that that were really desperate, right, for food, water, housing. And and you kind of spoke about your own deployment to Florida during Hurricane Ian and, and kind of the, the personal fulfillment you got out of that, you know, helping these individuals in their in their time of distress. So we're going to segue a little bit here, right, because the way the world works, not necessarily good or bad, just the way the world works, disasters tend to disproportionately affect poor people, right? Rich people get on planes and leave. Um, but, but, you know, elderly people, people in very rural areas, communities of color, they're all disproportionately impacted by, by these types of disasters, and, you know, not saying that the person providing you help, you know, if, if you're in need, you, you, you take it from wherever you can get it. But but it does make sense for FEMA, for the workforce to look a little bit more like the people it serves. Right. And, and so you're kind of right at the cusp of that. Right. Like in terms of addressing some of the long term challenges that the federal government as a whole, uh, DHS in specific, have with, with, you know, diversity. Can you talk a little bit about kind of what, you know, you're right in the middle of it. Can you talk about what FEMA is doing to really increase the quality and diversity of its workforce? That's a great question. And I'm actually excited because that's the core of my recruitment is diversity inclusion. Um, As a recruiter, I want to make sure that when we post job announcements, that it gets into all candidates that are that are um, all candidates possible so not just going beyond just posting jobs and USA jobs because there's some people that might not be familiar with USA jobs or might not have access to it so we want to make sure that we uh, spread visibility increase visibility of job announcements uh, across the board I know some recruiters they get stuck using the same tools but we I think we try to be innovative as I said before we try to we what we're doing is expanding announcements and utilizing different platforms uh, for example, we use Handshake. Handshake is the number one platform for uh, current students or recent grads in regards to internships. So we use that to, um, again, advertise positions um, on there. Um, we also have another job board that we utilize, this uh, Inclusion, Diversity, and Emergency Management uh, job board through that nonprofit organization, another avenue to, um, again, advertise positions. Um, and then this one to touch on in regards to diversity workforce uh, we, uh, the agency just started, and we're on a second year pilot program, the uh, paid summer internship program. It's the HBCU slash uh, MSI uh, summer internship program, uh, historically black colleges and universities slash minority serving institutions. Uh, so again, for me, diversity and recruitment is very important. Uh, I think what makes it important is building relationships uh, with diverse organizations uh, to really continue to build diverse talent pipelines. So is that the same as the Lasting Legacy program, or is Lasting Legacy different than the internship program you just mentioned? That's, diff- that's different from, from the internship program. The internship program just started last year, um, and then we're on the second year now. But that's different from that. Well, so tell me a little bit more about the internship program. How How is that working out? Have you been able to recruit uh, a lot of new people or get a lot of new interest? I mean, 
unemployment's at like, you know, 2%. So it can't be easy necessarily. Sure. So we're right. We're currently right now uh, uh, collecting applications as the application period just passed. We're a team where we're, we're looking at applications now, sorting them out, talking with program offices. I can do speak to uh, last year. Uh, so last year we had uh, 20 internship slots. So we had uh, 16 at headquarters in FEMA um, and four, not take the back, excuse me, 14 at headquarters, six at Region 4, which is our Atlanta, Georgia office. Uh, we had students from different types of HBCUs, uh, Gremlin, uh, Alabama State, Howard University, University of uh, D.C., um, as well as Georgia State, which is AAPISI, Asian American Pacific Islander Serving Institution, as well. We had a couple people from there, too, as well. So um, had a great reception the first year. Uh, we've gotten more traction this second year, and we're hopefully we can get some more um, more students. So we just this second year, we also incorporated our regional aid office in Denver, Colorado, uh, with the goal of it, um, including tribal colleges as well. So. Wow, that's fantastic. So, Lamar, kind of with all this stuff going on, you told us a little bit about the beginning, about why you like your job. But if I were out there asking a bunch of first-year FEMA staffers, you know, what they love most about their job, what what do you think they would tell me? Uh, first-year FEMA staffers in regards to their job, I, they would tell you that they're excited about what they're doing. Um, the, the reason why they're in that position is to serve um, the community. So I, I think that's what they would tell you. And do they get a lot of chance to do that? I mean, is that, is that if you're there for your, like, like kind of help me out with uh, a day in the life of I've been at FEMA for six months. What does that look like? Uh, deployed. I'll work alongside the reservists, talking with reservists. Uh, they can speak to, uh, their passion of helping individuals and helping communities, uh, on the road to recovery. Uh, a lot of reservists work long hours, uh, tired hours, but uh, hours are worth it because they know, they know that they're making a difference. Jeremy, earlier today, you kind of told us everything that was going on at FEMA. We just heard from Lamar, and Lamar told us about kind of what's happening in the world of HR. Kind of any final thoughts from your level about you know, why people might want to come work at, at FEMA, how people can come work at FEMA, and, and why it's a great opportunity and or why it's not, I, I don't imagine you're going to say that, but what can, what can you tell people out there who may be considering a, a career at FEMA? You know, I would say that um, as someone who has worked in a lot of different federal agencies, worked in a lot of different sectors, education, politics, um, FEMA has been a place where I have felt like I am truly serving um, my community, my country, um, and, and helping it to become a better place. And, you know, whether that means you are in external affairs doing the preparedness messaging, or you are in our disaster operations unit and you are doing the door-to-door -door service to communities to make sure they have the resources they need, or you are in our intergovernmental um, affairs division and communicating with governors and mayors about, you know, what resources we have in that partnership, or you're in our public assistance, individual assistance arenas, and you're actually getting money directly into people's hands. It is, a, it is an incredibly rewarding experience. Um, you feel like you actually are kind of making an impact on your world and helping people on sometimes their darkest day. And I would just encourage anybody listening to consider a career at FEMA. 
Um, USAjobs.gov is the place to go. You know, we actually have another great program for recent graduates called our FEMA Corps, which is a which is a partnership with AmeriCorps, where recent grads can come on and do some work here through FEMA Corps. And a lot of folks at FEMA are actually former FEMA Corps members, so there's a there's a pretty clear pipeline um, for that. And we also are just trying to you know engage a, a dynamic younger generation of people who are definitely eager to serve. Serve. I see that a lot with my younger siblings. Um, younger people that I mentor, they're looking for an opportunity to serve, to give back to their community on any level. And FEMA kind of, um, to me, is a perfect place to do that. So I would definitely encourage anyone who maybe is a little bit of adrenaline junkie too, to come on down to FEMA, get in the mix, and we'd be happy to have you. Wow, that's fantastic. This has been a deeper look at the Federal Emergency Management Agency with Joe Piva and Jeremy Edwards, Press Secretary and Director of Public Affairs, and Limar Thorpe, Human Resources. Limar, Jeremy, thank you so much for your time and being with us today. And I hope a ton of people really take the opportunity to get out there and look at FEMA either as a full-time career opportunity or even as a reservist. Uh, It sounds like a great way to serve the nation and help fellow citizens. You've been listening to A Deeper Look with Joe Paiva here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. You can listen to this episode and any past episodes anytime at federalnewsnetwork.com or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Search A Deeper Look.